Let's pray together. Oh God, we are hardly all the faithful who have come today, and we aren't all faithful who have come. But we come just as we are. It's a moment where your word engages our minds and addresses our hearts. And I pray, dear Lord, on behalf of all of us, that today the word may be clear. And grant us the courage to heed what we hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you be saved if you don't know God or Jesus or Christmas or Calvary or salvation or forgiveness or grace or the Ten Commandments or prophecy or the Bible? In short, can a pagan remain a pagan and still be saved? I wish you would ponder that question up on the screen in its stark reality this morning. Can a pagan remain a pagan and still be saved? A few days ago, as you know, I stood in the heart of the world's largest city, surrounded by the 12 million inhabitants of Tokyo who are a part of the 130 million residents in the country of Japan. In case you don't know, I love the Japanese people. In fact, I have three words stamped on my back. Made in Japan. <laughs> I was born in Tokyo. And had the joy of spending the first happy 14 years of my childhood growing up in the land of the rising sun. You know, I gave a full report to you last week with 80 pictures. But having returned recently, I have been finding myself asking this question over and over and over again. Here's the question. Will God destroy 130 million of His children because they are pagans who do not know Him or this Jesus who came at Christmas? Hmm? And while we're at it, one of you mentioned this a moment ago. What about the one billion Muslims who are living on this planet? who do not accept Jesus as the divine Savior of the world. And while you're still at it, what about the postmodern, secular, atheistic West? People with people who do not know God, or Jesus Christ, or Christmas, or Calvary, and you go on and on and on. What's God going to do? Nuke them all in the end, just like we did to the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki? What we need to do today is hit the rewind button on this DVD we're calling Romans. We need to rewind. We, we need to go back to where we've been. I know we, we read these verses, these words just a few weeks ago, but the, the problem was we hurried over them. We didn't ask the hard questions, and I take full responsibility for that. I didn't even think about the hard questions. But these new questions are on my mind now, and we need to go back. How is God going to treat the pagans in the end. One rainy morning in a hotel room in Japan, I went back to this line in Romans and I brooded over it. What is God trying to tell me here? I want you to go there with me right now. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Romans. Romans, this textbook, this theme book for our new series this school year here at Andrews University, Pioneer Memorial Church. Go to the book of Romans. Let's pick it up. Romans chapter 2. I know we've already been there, but let's go back. To get a run into this, uh, this one line that I've been 
ruminating over. Let's, let's, let's begin in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. We'll pick it up in verse 11. And by the way, I'm in the New King James Version today. That would be the translation that is in front of you in the pew right now. And if you want to follow along with those ex- these exact words, you may do so if you didn't bring a Bible. The New King James Version today. This is Romans chapter 2. Let's read in verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. God has no favorites. Sorry, Mr. Falwell. I heard Jerry Falwell interviewed Sunday in Tim Russert's Meet the Press. Four clergy. I was embarrassed. They got into such a mud fight on national television. I was embarrassed for all the clergy. And Mr. Falwell making the point, yes, he did, that the United States, America, is a chosen nation of God. I want to disabuse you of that notion. America is not a chosen nation. God has no chosen nations today. He has no favorites. With God, there is no partiality. The whole human race is chosen now. All right. Now, verse uh, 12, for as many as have sinned without, or as the NIV says, apart from the law, will also perish apart from the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged or under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. In the end, you won't be saved. You won't be judged by faith. This is the great anachronism of the Bible. You're saved by faith, but judged by works. God says, I got to know how you really believe. Show me. God's from Missouri. He says, show me. In the very end. And that's Paul's point there in in, uh, 13. But here comes, here's what I've been brooding over. Verse 14. For when the Gentiles. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's just call them for who they are. They are pagans. Pagans are people who live outside the, outside the pale of special revelation. Special light from God. They are pagans. So let's just read it that way. For when the pagans who do not have the law by nature do the things that are in the law, these pagans, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Hold on now. Verse 15. These pagans show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts either accusing or else excusing them. When's all this going to happen? Paul tells us, verse 16, this will happen in the day when God will judge the secrets of men and women by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is the brooding question. For us to ponder, when the human race stands before God in the final judgment, how is God going to treat the pagans in the end? I mean, will the fuzzy wuzzies of New Guinea and the not so fuzzy Christians of Berrien Springs and the postmodern pagans of Tokyo, Moscow and Chicago, will we all be judged the same way? Hmm? There are 130 million Japanese today whose eternity depends on the answer. And by the way, that's a big ditto for a billion Muslims. So... What's the answer? Well, let's make sure we have the question down straight first. Would you take out your study guide, please? It's in your worship bulletin today. The Wind Symphony has study guides. wish you would take yours out as well, please. And if you didn't, by the way, if you came in, you didn't get a, a worship bulletin or a study guide, would you just please hold your hand up and the ushers will make certain that you get it. Those of you watching on television right now, you can go to our website. Let me put the web address on the screen for you. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv, Pioneer Memorial Church, pmchurch.tv. This is part eight in our series, Wine and Milk. If you just click on to Wine and Milk, part eight, pick, pick the uh, title. Let's see, how's it go? 
a Christmas present for the pagan majority. So just click on there and you get the identical study guide that we have here. Thank you for holding your hands up. The ushers are moving towards the back, but we need to go. And so let's take that study guide and fill it out. Let's get the question straight before we look for the answer. Fill it in, please. In the final judgment, how is God going to treat the pagans? That's what we're worshiping over this morning. How is God going to treat the pagans? There's another way we could rephrase it, and let's do right there. Can a pagan remain a pagan? Write those two words in, please. Can a pagan remain a pagan and still be saved? Let's find out in a whirlwind dash. I mean, put your seatbelt on because we are going to fly now as we scribble down some references and examine some biblical evidences. All right? You're going to have to jot a whole bunch of numbers down. Just have your pen ready to go. Oh, I'll tell you, this is some story. Genesis chapter 20. Would you, would you write it in, please? Genesis chapter 20. And I do want you to go to the book of beginnings for this one. Genesis 20. Abraham, hallelujah, is married to a beautiful wife. Lucky the man like me who is married to a beautiful woman. Abraham is married to Sarah. And he says, you know, Sarah, you are such a looker. You turn so many heads that where we're going in this pagan country, I need you to tell people that you are my sister. I mean, come on, lady. We, we, this is technically true because we have the same dad, but different mother. So I can say, you know, you can say uh, he's my brother and I'm his sister. Now, they move into that country and the pagan king spots her and he says, I need that woman in my collection. Here we go now. Genesis chapter 20. Have you written in 20? All right, let's go. Genesis chapter 20. Drop down there to verse 3. But God came to Abimelech, the pagan king. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are dead meat. Now, that's the English. The Hebrew says you're a dead man, but the English says you are dead meat. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. She belongs to another man. You're not going to sleep with her. All right, verse 4, but, but Abimelech had not come near to her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Didn't he say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart. Notice, this is a pagan talking now. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And I love this, God, verse 6. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. I know you are an honest-hearted pagan, and that's why I withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I didn't let you touch her. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is an incredible line. What, what are the implications of that single line? Two of them. Would you jot them down, please? Number one, please note, God comes to pagan, pa pagan Abimelech in a dream, and guess what? Abimelech recognizes the voice. There's something in the heart of this pagan that says, ah, that must be the voice of God speaking to me. So write that in, please. He recognizes the voice. And then notice this. Abimelech said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. I am innocent. You know the integrity of my heart. Please write it down. Abimelech was obeying the light he had from God. And God says, boy, you are absolutely right. I know you are an honest man. Pagan. All right, here comes link number two. Write it down, please. Second Chronicles, chapter 35. I, I do want you to see this one, too. It's a little harder to find Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter 35. You can write in 35. I'll put the words on the screen there because it may take us forever to find Second Chronicles. Ah, uh, there it is. Second Chronicles, just before the Psalms, pretty close to the Psalms, to Job, actually. Second Chronicles 35. But I do want you to see this one, too, because here comes another pagan. See, is God down on pagans? So far, I'm pretty impressed with the way he, treat, he treated Abimelech. Let's see how he treats 
another pagan. This is Second uh, Chronicles 35. Drop down, please, to verse 20. And after all this, when Josiah, that would be the king of Judah, had prepared the temple, Necho, the king of Egypt. Okay, this is a pharaoh. Came up to fight against Carchemish of the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he, Pharaoh, sent messengers to him, Josiah, saying, verse 21, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. Now notice, pagan king speaking, For God commanded me to make haste, so refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Oh, that's pretty heavy. Now watch, watch this, verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from Pharaoh, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him. And notice now, very careful, he did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Those words came through a pagan king. God spoke. So he came to, the, he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And by the way, Josiah got killed. Should have believed the pagan king who was speaking on behalf of God. Would you jot that down, please? A pagan pharaoh, isn't that amazing, was taking orders from the living God. Wow. And then keep going, keep writing. Josiah, the leader of the greatest revival, this is true, the greatest revival in the history of Israel, Josiah should have obeyed the word, write it in, the word of God through a pagan king. Ladies and gentlemen, is God down on pagans? He doesn't seem to be down so far. Let's take a look in the middle of the Bible. Just open, let your Bible fall open to the book of Psalms. I've never seen this one before. Take a look at this, Psalm 87. Oh, I've read these words a hundred times perhaps, but I hadn't realized what they're saying. Because it, it, you read it and you say, well, I'm not sure what that's saying. Whoa, boy, take a look. It really is saying something rather, rather radical. This is Psalm 87. We'll pick it up in verse 4. God is speaking here. Psalm 87, verse 4. God says, I will make mention of Rahab. And by the way, that's a code word for Egypt. I will make mention of Egypt and Babylon to those who know me. I want to talk about the people in those two nations. And by the way, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, you'd be included. And here's what I'm going to say, God says, the end of verse 4. This one was born there. Now, what in the world is God talking about? Where's the there? Look at verse 5. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. Ladies and gentlemen, Zion is the city of the saved. And God is saying of the pagan, the great pagan neighbors around Israel, I'm going to look and I'm going to say, hey, wait a minute. That one is part of the city of the saved. And in fact, verse 6, the Lord will record when he registers the peoples, this one was born there. What's the point? You got the point right there in your study guide. Just jot it down. God writes down the names of pagans in his book of life. It's the book of the saved. He opens up the book of the saved. He says, by the way, in this book of the saved, all your pagan neighbors, I'm going to have people from all those neighbors in the kingdom with me. He writes down pagans in the book of life. What's up with that? God is, is God down on pagans? Doesn't seem to be. In fact, when God got born down here, as it were, and we're celebrating that, and grew up here, how did God respond to pagans? I love the story. Write down the number, please. Eight. Matthew 8. I love the story of the Roman centurion. By the way, pagan is pagan comes. Roman centurion. You remember the story where the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Oh, wait a minute. Lord, I know that you have the power. You can. He, I got a servant back in my mansion that is dying. He's on the, death, uh, on the doorstep of death. But Lord, I'm asking you to do one thing. You just speak the word. I don't, I'm not worthy for you to come into my little, my little home. 
I'm a man. I have a hundred. I have a hundred men under me. I just say the word and the men jump to you do the same. Just speak the word and heal my servant. And Jesus, he is so nonplussed with this response from a pagan Roman centurion that Jesus makes this exclamation. Matthew eight. Uh, should have been turning there while I was talking. Matthew 8, drop down to verse 10. Notice Jesus' exclamation after the Roman says all this. When Je- verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, amen in the Greek, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And then I never noticed this line. I mean, I've read it, but I didn't catch it before. Verse 11. And I say to you that many... Note the word many. Many will come from the east. And I quickly scribbled when I found this a few days ago. I quickly scribbled Japan in the margin. Many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. People who weren't even supposed to be at that final celebration. They're going to show up. Hey, where'd you guys come from? Who invited you? You're not supposed to be here. You're not among the saved. Many will come from the east and the west. And by the way, Jesus says, I have a word for those of you that consider yourselves saved. Verse 13, verse 12 rather. But the sons and daughters of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's awesome. Did you catch that? In fact, j- jot down these two lines, will you? Jesus declares the faith. Write it in, please. Jesus declares the faith of this pagan greater than all that of the saved. People are going to show up in heaven. We never thought were even invited. You can't tell me God is down on pagans. Write in the next number. It would be Luke 12. Let's just read this off the screen. Luke 12. Jesus speaking here. Write in 12. And that servant... By the way, a master said, I'm going away, but I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. Just be ready when I come back. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his master's will shall be beaten. Just beaten with many stripes. But notice this. He who did not know yet committed things deserving of those stripes shall be beaten with what? Only a few. Now, notice the last verse. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of her, they will ask the more. Write that down. This is a critical principle here. Jot it down, please. To whom much is given, much will be required. You can flip that coin over. And so let's do it. Let's look on the other side of the coin. Write it in this way. To whom little is given, little will be Required. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Will God in the judgment expect the pagan to have lived the kind of life he expects of you and me? Huh? Will he? No, you should have lived like that. Will he? Of course not. God is looking for every reason he can find to save pagans. Okay, jot, that, jot this one down. We'll read it on the screen as well. In fact, you can fill it in as we read it. This is Acts chapter 10. Put Acts chapter 10 just... Make sure you get that uh, reference down. You can, you can go back over these later. Just brood over them. Cogitate. What is God saying here? This is Peter, also in the home of another Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Peter, he just can't believe that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on a pagan. And so Peter exclaims, here we go, Acts chapter 10. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, here we go. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. 
Paul's already made that point, but Peter affirms it right in the word partiality. In every pagan nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness, get this, is accepted by him. Wow. In every pagan nation. Boy, I tell you, God loves pagans. And that theme just keeps being woven through. Jot down the the other reference from Acts chapter 17. Put Acts 17 down. And then we'll read this and there's one to fill in as well. Acts 17. This is where Paul is up on the Areopagus. This is a this is a hillside covered right now with pagan philosophers. I mean pagan as pagan can be. And they've asked Paul because they've heard about this little babbler who's been down in the city streets. They say, we want to hear this boy. And they brought him up to the Areopagus. Now, here goes Paul. Watch this. He's talking to pagan philosophers. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things, I am so impressed with you. You are very would you write it in? Religious. You see, you can be a pagan and still be religious. You are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription. Wow! To the unknown God. I want to tell you something, gentlemen. Paul goes on. The one whom you worship without knowing, Him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is the Lord of heaven. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Paul says, I've seen all these shrines. Wow, I've seen the shrines. I've seen the temples. I've seen the gods. I am so impressed. You are a very religious people. If if Paul were standing in the heart of Tokyo today, he'd say, I am impressed. If Paul were in Cairo today, when the call to prayer is sounded, Paul and all those men on their faces on those prayer mats, wow, I am impressed. Impressed. You are very religious. You're religious but ignorant. And that's Paul's point. One more verse. Verse 30. I want to put that one on the screen as well. Acts 17, verse 30. Because just near the end of his presentation. Let's put verse 30 up there, please. Paul goes on. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all men and women everywhere to repent. Would you jot that, in your, jot that down in your study guide, please? As the story of Abimelech confirms through the ages. Jot it down. God has overlooked pagan ignorance when there is pagan integrity that obeys the divine conviction in the pagan heart. I will excuse, I will weak, I will overlook that ignorance of yours. I just, it just, I'll just overlook it. Fact is, ladies and gentlemen, God loves His earth children so much. Look at this salvation insurance that he provides for every newborn pagan baby that comes into this world. And by the way, may I remind you that every baby born on this planet is born a pagan? Every baby. There's not a baby on earth that's born saved. They're all born pagan. So God has this, God has this salvation insurance policy. By the way, this last week, our conference decided that we needed to be made aware of potential, what do they call it, Su- uh, what do they call it, supplemental insurance. It's from a company named Aflac. Have you heard of Aflac? It's the company that sells cancer insurance and housing, I mean, uh, emergency room insurance, disability. Have you seen the uh, Aflac duck? Aflac, Aflac, Aflac. Have you, see, have you seen that duck? Oh, good night. He shows up in church. Look at that duck. He goes everywhere. You can never get away from the Aflac duck. God says, I have a supplemental insurance policy 
that I have taken out for every baby that is born on this planet. You do not have to enroll. You do not have to register. You are covered. You are covered when you're born. You want to know what is, what's, what's in God's supplemental salvation insurance policy? I'll show you. Jot it down. John, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1. In fact, you just fill the verse out. It's right there. John 1, verse 9. Fill the verse out, please. There it is. Jesus is the true light that gives light to every man and woman. Every. Supplemental insurance for every man and woman who comes into the world. Would you please make note of that? Every. God's salvation insurance policy makes certain that every baby is born with a bit of the light of Jesus. Nobody on this planet lives in utter and complete darkness. Nobody. Not even the cannibals, the fuzzy wuzzies of New Guinea. There's light shining the whole planet over. All right, so what's in that light? You want to know what's in the light? Here's what's in the light. This is God's supplemental insurance policy for every human being. Jot this down. Romans 1. We've already been there. Woo. There just a few weeks ago as well. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. This is what's in the light. I want to read it right off the screen. Because, Paul is writing, what may be known of God is manifest in them. That would be the pagans. It manifest in them. For God has shown it to them, the pagans. What has he shown? Ah, look at this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that the pagans are without excuse. I gave you supplemental salvation insurance. I shine light on you. And in nature, would you write it in, please? In nature. The light in nature shines into the pagan heart with evidence for the existence of God. Please write that in. Now, this is a university that prides itself in its science as well we should. I want to say this. God's salvation insurance policy makes certain. Listen, folks, some of your science majors makes certain that there is sufficient light and evidence in science today, in science today to confront every atheist, whether in Papua New Guinea or New York with the existence, evidence to confront all with the existence of an omnipotent designer creator. There is nobody who will stand before the judgment in the end and say, God, I never saw any evidence. Nobody. God says, wait a minute, let me just replay the video for you. Here's where you saw that evidence. And you know what you did? You shut your mind to it. You did not want to believe I gave you a supplemental insurance policy. You didn't have to pay a penny. I would have saved you as a pagan. But you said no. Wow. By the way, you know what else is in that light? We've already read this, so we don't need to turn to the verse. But Romans chapter 2, let's just fill it in. It's in your study guide. The light of conscience. Would you write that in, please? The light of conscience shines into the pagan heart with evidence for the existence of a moral. Write it in. A moral code. God's guiding law. Every baby born on this planet is implanted, as John R.W. Stott puts it, with an inner urge to do what we believe to be right and a sense of guilt and remorse when we have done what we know to be wrong. There, even thieves, there is honor among thieves. There are ethics. The, every human heart has a shaft of light that tells it when it's right and when it's wrong. Oh, this is heavy. This classic on Christian education, I put it in your study guide for you. Education, the, the book, page 29, listen to this. As through Christ, 
every human being has life, so also through him every soul receives some ray of divine light. Notice, not only intellectual, but spiritual power, a perception of right, a desire for goodness exists in every heart. Everybody gets it. One more link. One more link. Jot it down. Titus 2. Right in the number 2. Just stay right there because we'll put the verse up, but we'll fill it in together. Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many, ladies and gentlemen? How many? All. Write it in, please. All men and women. There isn't a pagan on this earth who is not the object of divine love and grace that shine upon his or her pathway. And by the way, classic case in point. I love this story. Once upon a time, God saved an entire pagan city named Nineveh. Remember that story? Classic proof that God loves, God loves pagans. I mean, does he love pagans? He, he saved the pagan sailors. He saved the pagan whale. He saved the pagan king. He saved the pagan city and he saved the saved but lost prophet. He saves everybody in that book. Hallelujah. What a God. Oh, by the way, Jonah, speaking of Jonah, Jonah, who is convinced God cannot love and save such awful lost pagans. And when God does, is mad that he did. And by the way, please note, please note. When God saved Nineveh, not one of them became a Jew or a Christian. Not one. They are simply forgiven, saved pagans. And they stayed pagan all their lives. But He saved them. Not one of them became a member of your church. Not one. Of God's church on earth. The Jews, not one. Can a pagan remain a pagan and still be saved? Oh, read these words. Christ Object Lessons. This is dynamite. 385. Wherever there is an impulse of love and sympathy, wherever the heart reaches out to bless and uplift others, there is revealed the working of God's Holy Spirit. Get this. In the depths of heathenism. Men and women who have had no knowledge of the written law of God, who have never even heard the name of Christ, have been kind to His servants, protecting them at the risk of their own lives. Their acts show the working of a divine power. Hold on now. The Holy Spirit has implanted the grace of Christ in the heart of the savage. Wow. Grace in the heart of the savage, quickening his sympathies, contrary to his nature, contrary to his education. And this light, if heeded, will guide his feet to the kingdom of God. Can a pagan remain a pagan and still be saved? Based on the evidence we have just examined today, I must conclude that the answer is yes. Write it in. Yes. I must conclude that the salvation of a pagan heart is not dependent upon it becoming a Christian heart. That God is going to save pagans who like Abimelech and perhaps Pharaoh Necho and the city of Nineveh remain pagans all their lives. Men and women who simply lived up to the measure of light that God shined upon their pathways. From Nineveh to New York, from Africa to America, people who will be written in God's registry of life. Hey, this one was born again in this city. This one was born in that city. As our ages, page 638, among the heathen are those who worship God ignorantly. You have it right there. Those to whom the light is never brought by human instrumentality. Yet they will not perish. Hallelujah. 
Though ignorant of the written law of God, they have heard His voice speaking to them in nature and have done the things that the law required. Their works are evidence that the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts and they are recognized as the children of God. Some of you are saying, hey, hold a time out, Dwight. Pastor, please. I mean, how can God do this and remain faithful to His own character? Faithful to the cross of Calvary. How could He do it? I'll tell you how. It's simple. He simply remains faithful to His unrelenting love and sense of fairness. That's what He does. And you know what? Because of that, He has determined to judge every single human being on this planet by the identical standard. And here's the standard. Write it down, please. Here is the standard. In the end, God will judge all humans, pagan or not, on the basis of the light they did have. That's critical. That point. The fuzzy wuzzy with little light will be held accountable only to that small flickering flame that illumined his life. The Sunni or Shiite Muslim with a modicum of monotheistic light will be held accountable to that moderate revelation that shined upon him through the Quran. And the Western Christian bathed in the floodlights of biblical truth and scriptural revolution will be held accountable to that massive shining light that has been upon his pathway. You will be held accountable. To whom much is given, much will be required. To whom little is given, little will be required. Write this down, please. But no one, hallelujah, no one will be judged by the light she did not have. Nobody. Which means that for 130 million Japanese and 1 billion Muslims and 6 billion earth children, their their eventual standing before God in the judgment will not be dependent upon whether you or not you and I got to them in time. That takes a huge burden off our shoulders. The judgment will be simply and uniformly dependent upon whether or not they lived up to the light that they did have. And by the way, that will be the same standard for you and me. Did you live up to the light that you had? Desire of Ages, page 239. Oh boy, look at this. Our standing before God depends not upon upon the amount of light we have received, but upon the use we make of what we have. Thus, even the heathen who choose the right as far as they can distinguish it are in a more favorable condition than those who have had great light at Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church and profess to serve God, but who disregard the light and by their daily life Contradict their profession. Are you living up? I'm asking you a personal question. Are you living up to the light that you have? That's all I'm asking. That's all God will ask of you. Are you living up to the light that you have? That's all He will ask. I know what you're saying. Oh, hallelujah. No more missionaries are needed. No more evangelists. No more having to be a witness for Jesus. I never did enjoy it anyway. By the way, that attitude does say something too. But I want to hold you. Stop you dead in your track. That is the very dangerous miscalculation that can be mistakenly deduced from this radical truth about God and His pagan earth children. Oh, you know, I've heard people say this. Oh, oh, come on. Let's just leave the pagans alone. Don't disturb them. God will save them on the basis of the light they have. That proposition is based upon a single faulty premise. Write it down. 
The premise that thinks that all God's pagan earth children are living up to the light they have. They are not. The prisons of earth, the brothels, the ganglands, the homelands, the universities and governments and nations of this world are filled with pagans who have blatantly rejected the light. God has persistently been shining upon their pathways. And surely, I tell you what, they would be lost today. If their name came up today in the judgment, they would be lost. They are not the Abimelechs. They are not the Nikos. They are not the pagan Roman centurion. They are not even pagan Nineveh that repented. You know who they are? They are the second thief on the cross. In the face of the light that was shining on them, they spit in that light and say, I refuse. I reject that. That's who they are. They're the second thief. But ladies and gentlemen, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. That second thief today has the possibility of becoming the first thief if by chance somebody who is a friend of Jesus might come up to that second thief and say, time out, think it over again. You can find light. You can get saved. Which is why we cannot write off 130 million Japanese and 1 billion Muslims. But here's the point. Somebody is going to have to go to them. I don't know how many of them are lost today. I don't know how many of them are living up to the light they have. Most are not. And if they are not, they will be lost. Which is why the passion of God for His earth children this Christmas must become your passion and my passion too. I want to end by telling you, showing you a, piece, a gift they gave Karen and me as we were leaving Tokyo, the church there where we conducted that 10 lecture mini evangelistic series. They gave us this gift. And I want to share it with you in closing. It's, it's actually a piece of uh, Japanese calligraphy. The Japanese are, are uh, so artistic. And, you know, the great nations of Japan and China share the same Chinese characters. Ten thousand of them. Japan and China, China share the same, uh, one of the same uh, alphabets. They gave this to me. Do you know what this says? Take a look. Take a look. Watch this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Ladies and gentlemen, God loves. Oh, how God loves loves this pagan world. Even in Japanese, it's still true. Oh, how He loves the world. I don't know about you, but I tell you what, as I'm coming to this Christmas season, I'm thinking to myself, God, would You please help me to help You help them find the light before it's too late. And i got to ask you, would you like to join me today on this first Sabbath of Advent? Would you be willing to join me today in asking God to help you help them find the light of eternity? 
Last night I was praying late, late, late. Praying for this service today. I didn't do this in, in first church. I'm going to do it here in second church. I must make an invitation. This is not a call to salvation. There'll be another time for that. But listen to me very carefully. I would like to make an appeal right now. You cannot be exposed to what we have just discovered. God's passionate love for lost people. You cannot be exposed to that and, may, and not be maybe something, maybe something happening inside. And Here's what I'd like to invite. I'd like to invite the young adults. I'm only speaking to the young adults now. Speaking to us all, but making this invitation to the young adults. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I want to invite a young adult who is here today. I don't know what your career path is. I don't know what your academic journey might be. But I'd like to invite you to consider God calling you to become a missionary in the third millennium. A missionary to pagan, lost people. God may call some of you here to the land of the rising sun. You didn't know that. You didn't know that when you came to Andrews University. But God may call you to Japan. He may call you to the Muslim. A billion Muslims. He may call you to the heart of New York City filled with postmodern atheist pagans. But I want to know if you would be willing to put yourself on the line before God today. The rest of us don't know you. But would you be willing to put yourself on the line before God today and say, God, I am willing to be a missionary for you. And if it means crossing the water, I'll cross the water. I want to help you reach lost pagans while there's still time. If there's a young man here, if there's a young woman in the back of the balcony or behind me, among the Wind Symphony, I'd like to invite you to come here to the front. And I want to pray with you. If you sense God saying, boy, girl, I want you to clear the decks for me. I'm going to call you to help me save this world. God bless you. I'm so proud of you. I don't know where God's going to call you. But if He has a heart that says, I'm not Jonah, God. I don't know how to go like Jonah, but I'm willing to go unlike Jonah. I just want to put my life on the line for you. God bless you. Now, Chad's moving in your midst. There's a little card that he's going to put in your hand. And I wish you'd circle the second line which says, I want to obey Jesus and follow Him. Just circle that. I'll know what it is. I want to send you something. And then I'm going to be in touch with you. I want to do whatever I can as the pastor of this campus church to help you. Some of you are going to get called over the next few weeks to become a student missionary. I just know it. I just know that God's going to do that. Others of you are going to say, no, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to, my career, I'm going to go the whole nine yards. You can do both. But I want to be in touch with you. I want to be in touch. Uh, congregation, I want you praying right now. Just be praying. These are decisions. Do you know what? There's somebody in this group today that may be God's chosen servant to break open the Muslim community as it has never been broken open before. A Jew named Joseph Wolf, one day, young man, became a Christian, accepted Jesus as Messiah, and God set that young Jew ablaze, and he became one of the fiery torches at the beginning of the 19th century. God can use you. And the rest of you, 
You pray. Hey, in fact, let's do this. Can you play that? I like that. Let's, let's do... Let's just sing the chorus of Go Tell It on the Mountain. Give me a few more seconds, will you, with these who've come forward. By the way, young professionals are not beyond the call of God who will step into your professional career track and stop you short and say, I have, I've changed your plans. I'm calling you to be a missionary for me. I need you to help me reach the postmodern, the pagan world. Help me now. If you hear the call of God, you must answer that call. But put your, address, put your name and your address where I can get a hold of you. Initially, I'm going to send something in the mail to you. So make sure that it's an address that can get something in the mail. If you want to put an email address down, that would be great. And then we can be in touch with you electronically as well. Thank you for doing that. How about it, the rest of, the, of this uh, worshiping congregation today? Do you want to join me in rededicating ourselves, asking God that His passion for our lost pagans might be a passion we carry? And this Christmas and on into the new year, we will, with that fire, move forward for God. I wish if you wanted to make that commitment, you would stand to your feet right now for our... I want to have a prayer of commitment for you too and for these who come forward. Those of you who have come forward, God bless you. I'm so proud of you. Look, I, I don't know. I don't know where God is going to go with this. I just know God is going with you. He's going to go with you. You stay with Him. Put your name and address on that piece of paper. I want to be in touch with you. And there will be instructions in that communication. But I'm committed to spending the next few months working with you to prepare for this call that God has made to your life. I'm proud of you. Let's pray together. Oh God, go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills, everywhere. Across the sea, everywhere. 130 million lost Japanese. A billion Muslims. Six billion earth children. Holy Father, I praise You for these young adults who've come forward. You've given them to Yourself as a Christmas gift. You saved them. And now, dear God, send them into service. Send them as young missionaries, soldiers. It will be at a high price. A high price. But don't let them be shaken. Not now. Hold them close. And keep their heart fervent. When they wake up in the morning, turn their heart to the Lord of the pagans. Turn their heart to Jesus. Every day, through the last few days of this semester, over the holiday, turn their hearts to You. And when we resume, when we come together, oh God, prepare them. These young men and women, I praise You for them. And dear God, the rest of us are standing all around them because there's something in our hearts that tells us you want the same passion for us too. And so for every man, woman, and teenager and child who is standing, this Christmas, we want to give to you our lives and we wish to receive as a gift from you your passion. That the passion of the Christ go with us and send us forth into a lost pagan world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen.